Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hi, welcome to Plow and Hose. Thanks for joining me, guys, in the backyard again today. I am super excited about this week because according to our solar system and the calendar we are officially in spring and spring has just always been my favorite time of year i love it when those first spring flowers stop start to pop up after months of boring brown dormant yard and naked trees that bright lime green of the brand new spring growth is my all-time favorite color too and it's coming up everywhere so i'm pretty excited about that you know after that horrible freeze that we had back um a a month ago in february i've been trying to be very patient and waiting to see what plants would be coming back to life i've been anxious and very impatient as I walk through my backyard checking on all my plants, but I just have to keep reminding myself that, you know, this past month, it was still really pretty early for a lot of perennial plants and trees to um, kind of come back to life. And I have to have to remember that most of our plants were still dormant. And of course they had the stress from the freeze and that that may have delayed some normal spring growth too. But now that we are a full two weeks past the last average frost date, I finally felt pretty good about trusting the temperatures again. So last night I sorted all of my um, patio plants into three official groups. Still alive, definitely dead, and still not sure about. The dead pile is pretty much... um, just the annuals that I had um, from last summer and fall that were kind of hanging around still alive and then also lost some uh, tropical plants that I had outside. The still alive group is the smallest group. Um, It's mostly herbs that I talked about um, on the show last week, mint and um, some oregano and some other tough little plants. the not sure group it's really the largest pile these are potted perennials the ones that die back in the winter but come back in the spring I gotta say these guys look terrible but after looking over them there was just something about these plants that gave me a little bit of hope like pliable stems these guys are getting a reprieve. I'll give them another week or two to show me some new growth and some signs of life. If they don't, they're just going to get chucked into the compost pile, and that will be their last opportunity to give back to the garden by breaking down into micronutrients that my actual living plants will use and appreciate. So speaking of my compost pile, I was also surprised to find some volunteer pumpkin seedlings that had come up 
I have no idea what kind they are going to be because um, all the pumpkins that we had last year in the fall, those, they all went out to the compost pile and I just kind of all threw them all out there. We had a couple of fancy Cinderella pumpkins that went out there along with the regular jack-o'-lantern type pumpkins and um, we also had some decorative gourds that also went out to the compost pile. I feel pretty good that those are pumpkins and not gourds because of just how large the seedlings are. They are pretty big for only being a week old. So it just made me smile to see those little pumpkin seedlings out there. It's a good sign that I have an active, well-balanced compost pile with all kinds of soil critters and microbes working really hard to produce some rich, healthy compost for me. And that is really what the plants love compost piles are the ultimate recycling project because they turn waste into useful nutrients for plants. If you don't already have a compost pile, you should seriously consider starting one this year. Compost piles keep plant and yard waste, kitchen scraps, leaves, grass clippings, and most paper products out of the landfill. Nature is going to break down all of those things in your pile and transform them into a really valuable soil amendment that feeds your plants. Even the most basic compost pile serves two functions. It keeps waste out of the landfill and it recycles it into free plant food. Compost piles are just so easy to do. You can... Um, Set up a pile and it can be as fancy or as simple as you want it to be. You can go out to the internet and you can find all, um, all kinds of instructions and inspiration on how to build like a really pretty and a fancy multi-bin system that looks great. Or you can do like we do and you just find a spot in your yard and just start a pile. You don't have to even construct anything as long as your pile is in contact with the ground bins and piles work the same it doesn't matter how it looks nature is still going to turn that compost into some really great stuff you know my compost pile is actually pretty hideous looking our compost pile is surrounded by stacked cinder blocks it's really ugly it has three walls. It has a back wall that is nice and straight, and then it has two side walls that are even with the back, but then it, um, it graduates down the front. So it's like a triangle, like a rectangle in the back that's supported by two triangle shaped walls on either side, and then the front is completely open. It's not pretty. It looks like it was designed by the Soviets. Whatever. You know what? It works. So you don't need a fancy magazine picture worthy compost bin if you don't want one. You should just start one. Compost piles, um, they need both brown and green plant material to break down efficiently. Green plant materials are those things like grass clippings, kitchen scraps, you know, old plants that you just pulled out from your garden, um, weeds. Green items are considered fresh and they still have a little bit of moisture in them. Green compost items are also high in nitrogen. 
Brown plant materials are those things that are kind of dry or woody and they're considered to be dead. So like fallen leaves, wood chips, newspaper, cardboard, those are all common brown items that you can put in your compost. Brown compost items are high in carbon. So ideally you want your working compost pile to be two parts green and one part brown. This is a good basic ratio for having a, an active synergistic compost pile that breaks down all of the larger pieces of yard waste and kitchen scraps into wonderful, rich, dark brown compost that your plants are going to love. An effective compost pile is always working. Compost piles don't go dormant and they don't take a break when the temperatures change in the winter and then the summertime. They will slow down a little bit during the cold and the extra hot heat, but they don't stop working. All those soil microbes and the critters like worms and insects are still hard at work under your compost pile, munching away on all that plant material. And even though it's either really hot or cold, they still are working to turn it into really great compost. Brown uh, material is also sometimes harder to come by in the summertime. Warmer weather helps your pile break down faster, so you will need more brown plant material to keep up. You know, right now, the um, live oak trees um, have shed their leaves and they do this every spring. So rake up some of the leaves and store those next to your compost pile so you can use them throughout the year. Save them for your pile or you could even use them as mulch in some of your garden beds. Leaves really make great mulch and they're free so you should totally rake up some to save. Or you know if um, you don't have a live oak you can see, um, you know, if your neighbors, if they've raked up their bagged leaves, you know, ask them if you can have them for your compost pile. Leaves break down really, really quickly. Bagged leaves at the curb, you know, they're just going to end up in the, in the landfill and it's so unnecessary. So use all of the free leaves that you can get. Definitely put them to good use in your compost pile or save them and use them to mulch and suppress weeds in your beds. My compost pile is tucked in the far back corner of my yard. It's in the chicken yard actually, which is a fenced off area where the chicken coop is. And that's the part of the yard where the birds get to walk around. They love the compost pile because that's where we take all of our like green weeds and kitchen scraps and they get to pick through all of that whenever we go and um, add them to our compost pile. They get out there and they scratch around in the pile and they look for bugs. I absolutely love having chickens. They are just so entertaining. And of course we get eggs. From a permaculture perspective, Chickens are the ultimate addition to your little homestead. Not only do they give you fresh eggs, but they can help you turn your soil, reduce insects, and their poop can be added to the compost pile. Chicken manure has to be put in the compost pile and allowed to break down before you can use it in your garden or on your plants. Now, chickens are omnivores. 
they eat pretty much anything plants insects even small little creatures like lizards and baby mice and baby snakes because they eat such a variety of food their droppings contain pathogens that can make people pretty sick pathogens like salmonella you know they don't actually survive for extended periods out in an active compost pile but chicken poop contains a whole lot of nitrogen so you have to let it decompose out in the compost pile for at least 80 days before you can use it in your garden if you don't let it compost long enough you run the risk of burning your plants with too much nitrogen and it's also going to smell bad it's going to smell like chicken poop. Just leave it out in your compost pile and, and it's going to break down nicely. In a few months, you will have some great compost that your plants will love. Here in Taylor and in Central Texas, we have really strong agricultural roots and live in areas that were originally farming communities. And there's actually lots of folks around here that are interested in gardening and keeping backyard poultry. If you are interested in adding a small flock, um, go ahead and start doing your research before you buy baby chicks or build a coop. Those cute little baby chicks at the feed store are so adorable and they are a lot of fun, but they grow up quickly and even free range chickens need to be cared for every day. So. You really have to be 100% committed to caring for them. Please do your research before you get chicks. You know, some communities and neighborhood associations don't allow you to keep chickens. So be sure to check your local city ordinances or your homeowners association rules. Even if your city allows chickens and chicken coops, your homeowners association may have restrictions, so please be sure to check it out before you get any backyard birds. I am not 100% sure what the ordinances are in our neighboring communities, but here in Taylor, you are allowed to keep chickens in the city limits. Roosters are illegal in Taylor, but we can have hens. If you live on less than an acre, you can have up to six hens. If you live on more than an acre, you can have up to 12 hens here in town. And you are supposed to get a chicken license from animal control. Now, I have been keeping chickens for, I don't know, like a dozen years now. Um, here in my backyard, they bring us a lot of joy and I think they are great but it is not something you should impuls impulsively do. Chickens can live up to 10 years, but they only lay regularly for three to five years. They are living creatures and they deserve to have a nice, safe place to live while you have them, even after they stop laying eggs. Give chickens the same amount of consideration as you would before you would adopt a dog or a cat. You are listening to Plowing Heads on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you will go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about our great shows and, and music and everything that's coming out of our little station broadcasting um, right here in Taylor, Texas. 
While you're out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plow and Hose Facebook page and like and share it with all your gardening friends. Or, you know, head over to um, where you get your podcasts, like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and, and be sure to subscribe to um, the Plow and Hose podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play and pause and rewind my show whenever you want, you know, help me out. Please leave a review. Download a couple of episodes also. It just takes a few seconds to download and then click on those review stars. Not only does that make me feel good, <laughs> but it also helps others find um, the Plan Hose program. And, you know, those reviews also show that it's a podcast worth checking out. Now, as we are starting to get really, really busy with all of our spring gardening chores, you are probably pulling out lots of spring weeds and digging out the remnants of your fall and winter gardens. And, you know, all those old and unwanted plants can be put into your compost pile. Anything green will add nitrogen and moisture to your pile. Anything dead and crispy is going to add carbon. Now, carbon is important to a balanced, active compost pile because it's a source of food and energy for microbes and the little critters that live in the soil and within your pile. Carbon breaks down really quickly in an active pile. When the microbes are happy and they gobble up carbon um, in your compost pile, it helps it decompose. Now, a byproduct of this decomposition is actually heat. An active compost pile will be quite warm with temperatures between like 100 and 150 degrees, even in the winter time. You know, we used to have um, a little dog named Twiggy who loved to be outside. She was um, a whippet, you know, one of like a little small greyhound. Whippets have very thin um, and very sleek coats, so she wasn't very um, hairy at all. So she would get kind of um, chilly pretty quickly. Um, and she was always sunbathing. She just loved, um, loved the warm sun. But in the wintertime, if she got um, too cold, one time she figured out that the compost pile was warm. So she would go out to the compost pile and make like a little nest and um, stay kind of cozy in there. And sometimes the kids would pile leaves on top of her like a little blanket so she'd stay warm. Anyway, a nice warm compost pile will break down all the yard waste pretty quickly. So it'll be important to turn your pile every so often. Turning it moves the larger, chunkier pieces from the outside to the center. And it's going to help incorporate air and oxygen as you turn it. So grab your shovel or garden fork and turn your pile every so often. Insects and worms need oxygen to survive, but those microbes like fungi and soil bacteria, they need oxygen too. A compost pile is an aerobic environment, and all that means is that um, it uses oxygen. So if you want to, um, so you, what you want to do for your pile is to keep it kind of light and airy. If you don't have enough oxygen, your compost pile will start to smell bad and you don't want a stinky compost pile. That sour, stinky, rotten smell actually comes from 
anaerobic bacteria. So turning and mixing your pile will help ensure that it is active and working and not gross. In addition to air and food, your compost pile, soil microbes, they also need moisture. Green plant material like grass clippings, freshly pulled weeds, kitchen scraps, all are going to naturally add some moisture to your pile. And an open top pile will also benefit from any rain that we get. Central Texas is more prone to drought conditions in the summertime, so you may need to add water to your pile. If it gets dry or if you have a bit too much dry brown material in your pile, you, you're probably going to want to add some water. If you keep your pile in an area that gets some shade, that's going to help maintain moisture too. Um, so when you're looking for a place to put a pile, don't put your pile in a spot that gets direct sun all day long. The intense summer sun will dry out your pile too quickly. So pick a good spot. Be a little mindful of how much sun that spot gets. You really don't need a lot of water um, on your compost pile, just enough to keep the center of your pile moist. Not soggy, just damp. If you dig down to the center of your, um, of your pile to the most decomposed part where the brown finished compost is, it should feel like a damp, squeezed out sponge, just barely moist um, and still crumbly. This is the good stuff that the gardens and the plants love. As soon as you achieve that dark brown crumbly stuff, it's ready to use. Just scoop it out and use it in your gardens and on your plants. If your pile seems dry in the center, just give it a little bit of water. If for some reason your compost pile um, develops like bad odors, there are a couple things that you can do to correct this, but you're going to have to dig into your pile and investigate and try to figure out why. Meats and oily foods can also cause odors, so don't put those in your pile. All natural stuff will eventually break down, even bones, but meats and fats are going to take longer to break down, and while you're waiting for it to decompose, you can get some bad odors, and you're probably going to attract um, meat-eating creatures like raccoons or rats or both both are both rats and raccoons are omnivores and they will eat anything and you may not want to attract them to your backyard if you don't turn your compost pile it can start to stink because of lack of air if you have too much green material in your pile um, and your pile starts to stink, just add some more brown material, and that's going to help neutralize that ammonia order, odor that can develop. When you are in the kitchen and making your um, meals, try keeping a bowl next to your sink and place all of your fruit and veggie scraps in there instead of putting them in the garbage can or in the garbage disposal. 
you know, garbage disposals use water and electricity. And, you know, not everything is actually meant to go into the disposal. Really fibrous and starchy kitchen scraps can clog up your disposal. And all that stuff that you grind up and then wash down the drain, it just ends up at the water treatment plant where they have to filter that out with all the water waste and the sewage. And, you know, processing that just uses more water and electricity. But if you put compostable kitchen scraps aside instead of down the disposal, you'll have plenty of stuff for your compost pile and you're going to reduce waste that goes to the water treatment plant. You might be surprised um, how much produce scraps that you can accumulate in a day. All this stuff can go right out to your compost pile. All your vegetable peels, carrot peels, cucumber peels, pits and seeds, citrus rind, apple cores, banana peels, corn husks, corn cobs, and watermelon rinds. Those all can go to the compost pile. You know, every day after you finish your coffee, you can put the grounds and the paper filters right into your compost bowl too. Used paper towels also can go into the compost, you know, just as long as they aren't really greasy, you know, put those paper towels out there. Damp paper towels break down surprisingly fast. I am not all sure what is living in my compost pile, but whatever is there, there's something in it that really, really loves damp paper towels. So don't be afraid to put paper coffee filters, tea bags, and paper towels into your compost. If you have old forgotten produce in the back of your fridge, um, the wilted moldy stuff that can all go into your compost pile even vegetable leftovers um, can go to your compost pile as long as they don't have lots of fat in them like bits of bacon or butter or cheese if you have something that you are can kind of concerned about putting it into your pile you know you can always just dig a hole and bury it in the center of your pile and that goes for um, eggshells too you can put eggshells into your compost pile and those are really great for your um for your microbes. If you are concerned about attracting bugs or having a bowl of what some people might perceive as garbage on your counter, then, you know, get a container that has a lid and keep it covered. There are actually a lot of really cute compost containers that you can buy um, and you'll, I'm sure you'll find something that matches your kitchen style. But you know, if you get into the habit of just taking it out every day, you won't have any issues with fruit flies or insects or any smells. If you have a kid, taking out the compost is a great chore that they can be responsible for because I don't know many kids that don't like throwing things. You know, let that be their chore. Have them take out the compost and toss it out onto the pile. Even the little ones can manage that. You know, it gets them outside. And, you know, when you're outside to turn the compost pile, have them come out there because, you know, it's an opportunity to see science in action. And it's a, a nice little ecology lesson, too. Overall, compost piles are super, super simple. They require very little effort on your part. Soil microbes and critters do all the work for you 
and they do it with very, very little attention on your part. So if you don't have a compost pile, definitely start one this spring. It's just so easy. It keeps waste out of the landfill and you get to use all that finished compost in your garden and your plants are just gonna love it. All right, so just to recap, have your pile in direct contact with the soil. Maintain two, two parts green plant material to one part brown plant material. Turn it occasionally, check for moisture, and make sure that it's nice and light and it has um, plenty of opportunity to have plenty of oxygen. And that's it. Nature is going to take care of the rest. It's going to break down all of, all of those items into wonderful compost for you. All right, let's change the subject just a little bit as I wrap up the show. You know, as far as spring planting goes, as soon as your beds are ready, you can start planting most of the vegetables, either directly sowing the seeds into the ground or um, planting transplants. You'll want to put transplants of peppers and tomatoes in instead of trying to start those from seeds right now. Um, this is going to help you ensure that you get plenty of flowers and fruit before the worst of the summer heat hits. Now, here's a cool tip for um, tomato transplants. If you want to get a nice strong root system, you should plant your little baby tomato seedlings pretty deep. Um, those transplants that you get from the store should have several sets of leaves on them. And what you want to do is just take off almost all of them. Just leave the top set of leaves. I know it seems like really weird to do that, but you know, all those little fine and fuzzy hairs that are all along the stem, they all have the potential to become roots. So if you bury your root ball and then most of the naked stem of your tomato, it's gonna form lots and lots of roots and you'll have a nice strong root system that is going to support the upper parts of your tomato plant as they bloom in fruit. Now that it's the second half of March, you can start annual seeds um, for flowers, things like zinnias, cosmos, morning glories, marigolds, sunflowers, all of those, they can be planted now safely. Well, that is all I have for you today. It is just such a great time of the year here in Central Texas, and thank you for joining me today. I hope this coming week is really great for you and your garden. <laughs> Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.